Welcome again to An Abundant Future with Matt Powers. And we're talking today with William Padilla Brown. And William is a young man. He's 23 years old. He has accomplished an incredible amount. We've had him on the podcast before. And we get into a lot of different things in this conversation uh, from him running for mayor in the future, um, from him making a breakthrough book in English to share with so many different people, uh, to even GMOs and controversial stuff. So uh, check it out. It's pretty, pretty interesting where we, where we get to in this conversation. So dive on in. Catch up from where we were last time. Um, you were working on your business. You were expanding your business. You were talking about how you were uh, speaking at local town uh, hall, town council meetings, and you were expressing your plans for how to improve the town, how to take it really like a whole town off the grid. Um, so how how has that developed? I heard along your journey that you considered becoming mayor, running for mayor. Do you want to talk about that maybe? Sure. Uh, yeah. I, uh, I had I had been participating in more uh, local government, uh, borough council meetings, uh, expressing uh, all, of the, all of the things that I've been doing and um, putting a lot of emphasis on uh, job creation because um, that's, I felt, where more people's interests lied at this point. Um, and making sure that the local government had funds to uh, take care of the uh, social needs um, and the services that they provide for us. Uh, as I think I did mention in the last one, as we had to sell our uh, local uh, water treatment facility to private uh, interests. And I didn't want to see stuff like that happening with other uh, uh, public systems. So <clears throat> I... I was becoming a little bit more vocal about these things and uh, we had a couple meetings and they turned out really good. I got a lot of support from local businesses and a lot of uh, people in the community came out and uh, attended the meetings and uh, extended their support in helping uh, to do research for me, uh, uh, promote uh, the, the, the work and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. But, um, I also, around that time, uh, had a team of people building up around me to help just uh, manifest the vision that I had and make sure that I was covering all the bases necessary to make sure I wouldn't have to backtrack at any point. And with that team in place, together with a kind of hive mind, we figured that that wasn't in uh, the best interest for me or the community that I was serving for me to be in that position just yet. Uh, so we decided to push that back to 2021. Wow, and, still um, on the table. Yeah, yeah, it's still on the table. Excellent. So there's been some huge gains in the past, uh, um, I don't know, has it been a year since we last spoke? Um, I believe so. I mean, it was around, I, I believe it was around last uh, spring, summer time. Awesome. Well, you've had a, a book come out since then, correct? Yes. Why don't you share with us yes, this the, book uh, and, and describe uh, why it's special? Because it is very special. <laughs> well, yeah, it's the uh, Cordyceps Cultivation Handbook. Um, uh, it's volume one. 
um, super, super proud of it. I mean, uh, I, I've been working with the cordyceps mushrooms for going on two years now. Uh, they're actually going on three years and it's a mushroom that not many people have much experience with aside from using medicinal products offered at different health food stores and things like that. And, uh, in North America right now, all the products that you can get that say cordyceps on it is not even the actual mushroom. It's uh, more of the uh, mycelium uh, or fermented grain products. Uh, and there's a lot of uh, conflict with fruit body harvesting, uh, wild fruit body harvesting in Tibet, where it's traditionally harvested, uh, where there's different factions that have taken over areas, uh, different regions in the mountains and, are uh, allowing people that are not from those areas to come in and harvest and uh, they're taxing all the people uh, that are harvesting the cordyceps. Um, but the p new people coming into different regions to harvest is causing conflict with the people that are already there. And it's just becoming this big, uh, I, don't, I don't know the best way to describe it. We have the conflict in Tibet and then we have the people that think they're getting mushroom product but are actually getting fermented grain. And there's some people that are actually doing a good job of explaining what the product is. Um, in the US um, and there's not much fruit body production. So the market is kind of in this weird place. And uh, we, we find these, these cordyceps mushrooms uh, back in 2015, my friend Charlie found them uh, at the first Mycosymbiotics Mushroom and Arts Festival that I hosted here in Pennsylvania. So it is a local culture. Um, I got it cloned and uh, with a bunch of help from people uh, around, uh, around the world, actually. I mean, people posting YouTube videos from Thailand, Vietnam, Asia, and my friend uh, Ryan Paul Gates over in Warren, Michigan, uh, with his enthusiasm to uh, produce fruit bodies, we managed to uh, start cultivating cordyceps fruit bodies last year, so 2016. And I recorded all of the work that I had done with them um, and documented a bunch of research, uh, did my best to, to translate uh, uh, Asian uh, work and mostly just watched YouTube videos and figured it out from there. But we got the cordyceps cultivated and uh, I started isolating commercial strains because at first it was uh, not producing in a way that would be viable for market. So I developed some culture, uh, some commercial cultures, uh, recorded all the information on how to do that, got a bunch of great pictures myself, wrote it all on Google Docs, uh, got it published at a local printing company here in Lancaster and sent it to over 10 countries in the first month, which was January. So it's been out since January and I'm working on my, uh, th my, uh, third 100 print round. So we're going on, uh, finishing selling our last, uh, 200. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's been great and it's really important that, uh, this book came out because there's no other uh, English source of, of information on cordyceps cultivation. So uh, with this book out wow. now, people, English-speaking people all around are uh, grabbing it up and also grabbing the culture that we have available on our website, uh, mycoshop.net, and cultivating cordyceps all around. I've, I've been seeing pictures of people getting them growing everywhere. It's, it's a beautiful thing. That's incredible. So you are you you assisted the fungi so that it could spread it spread its uh, spores and you know its mycelium and and its mushrooms even further. I love it. Oh yeah, totally total partnership. Uh, I, I feel like they they sought sought me out or sought out the individuals that were capable uh, 
helping them to do their thing. They knew it was up. <laughs> That's beautiful. I love that. And I feel that. I really feel like we, when we partner with nature, it really reveals an intelligence um, and uh, a knowledge and a self-awareness. And that's why when we work with um, these systems, we really have to be sensitive listeners and observant because there's so much going on. And so much, so much of it is completely aware of us observing it as well. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. So this is incredible. So to circle back, so you, 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 this is an incredible accomplishment, not only for you yourself, but for everyone in the English-speaking uh, countries. Uh, and, and those countries that uh, are, have English translation where it's cheap. So this is, this, this is a cusp moment, I think, in history with a lot of these things like radical mycology, um, your work. Uh, there, there's so much that can happen at this point. And most people don't realize that. So can you sketch out for us what your vision is, what kind of major changes you would make if you had 100% buy-in of your local community and you were um, the lead, whether you're a mayor or not, doesn't matter. They're listening to you. You've got the, the mic, you know, you've got the, the pen. They are ready for you to, to draft up your ideas and move forward. What are you going to tell them? Um, well, I guess small steps. Um, I, I think baby steps work best. I, I mean, I like rattling people's brains, but exposing people to a lot at once it sometimes can be overwhelming. So um, I think it's really important to slowly introduce people to these ideas, which I have been over the past couple of years with like, all right, I'm growing food. People understand it. It's like we need to eat. You know what I mean? Uh, so got that food to the farmer's market and now I'm at this stage where we're expanding out and hiring people so people know that they need jobs and that's something that's understandable. So uh, we're getting into this position now where we're uh, looking at these different warehouses, not only for mycosymbiotics, the mushroom business here, um, but I have this team that's helping me to step back away from that so I can also start uh, producing the spirulina, uh, starting with the insect farms, and then we can move on to different things like biofuels and uh, sustainable energy production, which is a little bit more heady for people um, I mean, it's, they can, they can grasp more of the working and eating and then the biofuel stuff comes in, especially in my type of area. It's just something that people don't have, uh, uh see what uh, their connection is with it just yet. Uh, Trump's, uh, uh, the little, a couple, um, uh, uh windmills, uh, and, yeah, just a collection of, of local waste oils and conversion into biofuels and biogas digesters and things like that. I mean, we have a really great resource here. Uh, it comes through the area, Biogas Bob, uh, with his Alpha and Omega. Uh, uh, he's been doing biogas digesters for a long time. So we have great Whoa. resources out here. Uh, a lot of people that are very interested in doing the biochar and things like that. So I think that's the next step from... Um, from producing the food. I mean, we have the whole garden web going on already uh, initialized and there's more and more people that are signing up for that, ready to change their lawn into a garden and uh, get that rocking. So there's a lot of things already in place that are gonna be uh, exposing people to the realities that will make them a little bit more accepting of the more far out stuff. Uh, well, that's incredible. You already have yeah, then, uh, everything in place. Just working on making it. 
Yeah, so I mean, it's I, I just posted this morning. Um, I've been in kind of this ethereal state where I've been living in uh, the the design. I've been living in the creation. Uh, I've set it all in place, and I've had a, I have a team now that are literally taking care of all of the needs that keep me from being able to be a creative mind. And for the past couple weeks, I've been just getting adjusted to being able to think and manifest and wow. the yeah all the energy is here now i have the resources necessary for me to keep putting things forward i mean there are a couple big things that that we need to uh manifest a little bit more energy for but i have a really really great feeling about this summer and uh using the sun to uh grow a lot of our goods to help uh, save our money um i mean we do spend a fair amount more more money on food in the winter time especially because we didn't preserve as much as we needed to last year, but we have way more hands. We have all the people we need. We have all the land we need to grow an abundance of food this year. And I'm pretty much booked solid through August. So the, the resources are coming in that we need to be able to manifest all the vision. And wow. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's brilliant. It's really, yeah, it's just this really like humbling uh, space right now. Uh, where I'm just getting adjusted to uh, using my brain in this whole new reality. That's incredible. That's so wonderful to hear. And, you know, I don't think we hear that enough where a community has created a support network and, and allowed you to really, with, with, with that network, plant these seeds. This is incredible. So oh, yeah. what, I'm, I'm really curious, though, what, what beyond those things, because, I mean, if we're growing our own food, if we're capturing our, our, our methane release, uh, cracking it into CO2, maybe even capturing that CO2 and then cycling it through algae, and like you already know how, because you've sent me a picture for that in my new book, The Permaculture Student 2. Um, if we're doing these things, then we're cutting off our, our CO, a huge amount of our CO2 release, and then we are sequestering carbon in the soil because we're growing uh, properly. Uh, we're growing it ourselves. We're not using giant machines, not shipping it all over the place. Um, and then we're making preserves. So we're saving even more energy. So, so you've got this, this edge, just like Peter McCoy does, um, Paul Stamets. There's all this, this new science that most permacultures have no idea about. If you just want to share some things like the algae closed loop thing like 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 glowing bioluminescent algae lights like you know like how would that manifest into our lives and how would that change things those kinds of things nice um well <laughs> i i really I mean, I think I think where my mind goes when it gets into these kinds of ideas is a little bit. I it's it's far out. It, it makes people a little uncomfortable sometimes. But um, I've been completely fascinated with uh, genetic engineers. Um, uh, I've been following the work of the Odin, uh, which is a laboratory supply company, and they've been selling kits for people to do home engineering. Um, it goes a lot of places. Uh, there's a, I have a friend, David Ishii, who's actually working on breeding out genetic diseases from his pit bulls, uh, are working on 
uh, engineering out genetic diseases from his pit bulls. Um, because as we've bred dogs for thousands and thousands of years, we've, and we've bred lots of genetic diseases into them, which are simple one letter, like fixes in the genetic code. Um, but with things like the, uh, bioluminescent fungi and all these kinds of things, I think that they could be more directly incorporated into like uh, biotechnological like systems. Um, which makes people feel a little bit uncomfortable, but I mean, we are just reaching this point of the way that we use technology is helping us to advance things so fast. Um, uh, the, it's it's hard to it's hard to verbalize some of the vision. I mean, I I could. Uh, I could, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want everybody to think that I'm just like saying everything needs to be all GMO and stuff like that. But I do see a lot of, especially with, especially with the way that the climate is changing and things like that. Um, I do see a lot of uh, interest in benefit that could come from proper use of uh, these kinds of sciences or ethical uses of these kinds of sciences to help uh, prepare us to start new environments when things start to change so fast. I mean, right now here in Pennsylvania, we had one of the warmest winters that I've ever experienced. The flowers, the trees were budding out like a week and a half ago. And then we just got hit with the biggest snowstorm of the winter right now. So like everybody's fruit crops are all out of whack. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're perennial tree crops. And like, this is the same thing that happened last year. And the mushrooms literally didn't stop growing this winter. Last year, they stopped growing in January. So there's these, all these things that I feel like, I mean, there's a lot of different uh, natural things that we could be doing, but I think with working with uh, modern sciences and all that kind of stuff, we could uh, help to uh, speed things up, make things more available to us and make sure that we have the resources and energy that we need. Uh, but aside from that, I think, I don't know, I guess it took me a minute to uh, think about uh, uh, more... Um, solid idea based off of the kind of uh, question that you're asking, but I think I've, I can envision a lot of integrated uh, living, sy living systems for like homes and stuff where we have uh, algae uh, panels on the walls of homes or uh, living, living panels on the walls of homes, blocking out shade, absorbing sunlight, capturing CO2, um, uh, dealing with the waste that's coming out of the home systems and uh, producing uh, either fuel, electricity, run the, run these homes, all that kind of stuff. I mean, the permaculture, this is something that was brought up at the organic grower school uh, that I attended in Asheville last weekend. Um, a lot of people were talking about homesteading and living off of the land and all, all the good stuff, you know, but I live in urban areas. I've been living in cities around the world my whole life, and the majority of the human population lives in cities. And they, they, uh, there's a lot of people that have that same desire to live off the land and live more holistically, but they're never going to have the opportunity to get land. And that's becoming more and more scarce. So I think uh, moving that, moving all these holistic systems and, and uh, thinking more, more about how we can integrate them into cities, how we can get that algae growing, how we can get these plants growing, the mushrooms growing, all that kind of stuff in whole apartment units. I mean, Right now, the last little bits of natural land outside of our suburban areas here 
in Pennsylvania, they're building these apartment complexes and they're stacking them up so that there's more living space in smaller areas. I think that these, uh, if, if people are going to continue to do these things, they need to be designed more intelligently with living systems integrated into them so we don't have to be taking waste off site, uh, so we don't have to be bring, bringing electricity on site, all that kind, all that kind of stuff. So, um, uh, so my yeah, understanding, I mean, I, my understanding is that we have concentrated and focused people in cities, and that's created these huge imbalances. Um, but there's tons, there's plenty of land for people to steward and to help restore. We need actually people to leave the cities and go out into the country because these small towns all over the world, villages too, are emptying and they're not being able to maintain their natural role in that biome if they're, if they're a part of that biome. They're not able to maintain mm -hmm. an economy, um, if e even if they're just a regular town or city or something. They're not able to maintain any of those things. Uh, and then on top of this, we need to get past the game where we're just liquidating nature into um, fiscal capital. What we need to do mm -hmm. is we need to change the game so that we're doing the actual... All right, so... I, I've, I've researched a lot into the GMO thing, and I, my concerns are that most of the things that they propose to give solutions for, they created. So number one, mm -hmm. soils, um, all their tillage, all their spraying, all the machines, all the shipping, all the preservation. It's all petroleum. Are we, and we're specifically, um, and we're specifically talking like. Uh, Focus on GMO agriculture, correct? Right, right, because that's where the the seed yeah. of it came, and that's where all those companies still, you know, yeah. come from, and that's where all the solutions are. They just own mm -hmm. subsidiaries of themselves. And then yeah. the, the the only way we're going to reverse climate change is the way that the Earth actually did it the first time. So we have to use biology. All the stuff we're burning is uh -huh. biology, and we actually haven't done that much. We've only done in the past. Um, it, it's it's a lot because our planet is sensitive. But what we've done is we've done between 2.5 and 3% organic matter of our agricultural soils. <laughs> so you and I both know that we can, that in the past 10,000 years, we've lost 20, 30% organic matter. So this problem that we're seeing in the past 100 years is actually a 10,000 year old agricultural problem. It's not just burning fossil fuels. So there's so much room in the soil to bring it back down in that we could totally bring back steady winners. We could actually bring back and cause an ice age pretty easily if we bring back animals, if we bring back vegetation and forests, if we bring back soil rich organic uh, carbon. I mean, we, we both know organic matter is carbon. That's what it is. So we can do all these things. Mm -hmm. We've proven we can grow feet of soil, you know, six tons of carbon per acre. Uh, we've proven these things. We can, in nine years, they took the Los Plateau, 500,000 square kilometers, and changed it into from desert, eroding desert land, or uh, desertified uh, land into productive perennial agriculture where there's no bare ground. So... If we do those things, the only thing that needs, and then the ocean repair, and that's also totally possible. We just have to create artificial barriers 
do vertical farming and stop doing any ocean harvesting so that it actually builds up the ocean soils, of which there's four. Um, and then the last part is the most critical, and it's changing human culture to align with natural patterns. So uh -huh. that's, that's what I see as the greatest hurdle, um, is getting us there and out of our own way, because we are in our own way right now. Oh, totally. Everybody's like in the way of their own self-awareness. <laughs> uh, it's pretty funny. Um, I was, oh yeah, the one thing I wanted to ask you uh, as you were speaking, I don't know if it's uh, E.O. Wilson, but I was here, I was uh, indulging in uh, uh, the thoughts of uh, somebody speaking on most of the world, uh, some percentage of the world being wild again. Uh, yeah, rewilding. And humans like... Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I can't remember. I can't remember the exact idea, um, but uh, some percentage of the world being wild, where humans were not, were not even doing anything to it anymore. Um, have you heard of this? Well, I haven't heard directly of that, but I do. My understanding is that we yeah. need to become wild again. Uh, I've been thinking a mm -hmm. lot about you know. Um, I really like this. I really like our oldest stories. I was an I, I was a history teacher and a and a credentialed English teacher, and then I was a English major and lit major at NYU. And these concepts that we have, these oldest stories that we have, are totally enduring. I mean, the Garden of Eden—they were wild. They had no choices. They lived by instinct, right? So they lived in a perennial mm -hmm. landscape because when they got kicked out, they had to till the earth. So we've created this situation where we are plotting our own destruction. We've created this fall. And now we have this opportunity to fix it. But it's a limited window. And it's, and it's like all sages from all religions, you know, and prophets and predictors. And you know what I mean? All of them are predicting yeah. the same exact thing because they can see it written on the wall wise men old men can always see it written on the wall where we are not living in within the pattern and the bounds of nature so yeah, this is this actually also something that i i brought up this weekend and it's something that i bring up a lot um is the pattern language the i mean people ask like oh how do you go in the forest and always find the mushrooms or how do you go in the forest and always find whatever herbs and things that it is that you're looking for and it's like I'm not just going out wandering around looking and hoping that I find these things. There's a, there's a language, there's a, a living language. And that's, and I say, I'll also mention that the human being is the ultimate scientific tool. And we often, we oftentimes get, uh, uh, forget it. We have the senses, we have the, the capability of, of, of processing the information of all these living organisms and all the different, uh, scenarios that we can see and experience with our senses. Um, but yeah, just going out and realizing that nature is, is, is a living system of patterns. It's a living linguistic system. Um, and then you can go out and speak with it and, and build the dialogue. And those you'll, you will never have to look for anything. You'll walk in the forest directly and you'll be like, oh, I'm surrounded by these kinds of trees. I'm surrounded in this kind of ecotype and the mushrooms right in front of you every time. So, uh, uh, it can, it can be understood a little bit more simply with like, 
If I go to any other country, if I need to go to the bathroom, I'll draw a toilet on a piece of paper if I can't speak the language and the people that speak a different language are able to understand from the symbols. It's all, it's the base, the basis of human interpretation of the world around us is that symbol, that those patterns. So I just, I just had a thought. Did, uh, did you go to college or did you, are you a self-taught scientist? Because you're, there's no question, no question, I think in anyone's mind that you're a scientist, but did you go after the degree or did you just teach yourself? Uh, I just taught myself. I haven't yes! seen any uh, educational <laughs> system since I was like 16. Yeah. 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 I remember us talking about unschooling, but like, I just, I just wanted to verify that. Yeah. And so, I mean, this is what it's about. It's about rewilding. Like, I think that being the scientist is being rewilded in a way because, um, Mm -hmm. like, like going back to old stories, old patterns, Gilgamesh, you know what I mean? It's like the wild man, Ikinu. It's like, we need to bring back some of our wildness because we need to pair it with nature. Um, and mm-hmm. that's only gonna, that, that, that only will come with us letting go of certain definitions that we cling to um, that are destroying our future for our children, really. Yeah, I th- we just have to, uh, I feel like we just uh, need to lose the fear of the wild, we need to lose our fear of nature. Uh, it's something I had. I mean, I didn't really even go out until nature until I was like 18 years old. Um, but yeah, people people are afraid of their wild side a little bit, afraid of the of of the unknown. So so, to, speak. so to, um, that end, yeah. to that end, to that end, disease, bacteria, mutation, these are also part of the wildness. And Joel Saladin, he doesn't use any vaccines. He doesn't treat his animals with mm-hmm. anything. He uses animals in a pattern that mimics nature to provide their health and their and their care um, for disease. And he also culls like crazy, like it would happen in nature, where they would cull the sick quickly before um, it did mm-hmm. um, any, anything serious. So my thoughts with yep. GMOs are they just aren't sustainable because if we have to live within nature's patterns, we have to accept disease as critique as cr- uh, critique. You know, disease, virus, you know, insects, like all these things that we see in our gardens and everything, they're a critique from nature saying, ah, you need to fix this. And it's going to remove that plant. So I think what's going on is we've been we've been circumventing our epigenetic switches um, because we only knew about epigenetics as a primary phenotypic drive since 2006. And since we've been. I mean, yeah, we've only known about genetics for like so long either like what like 30 40 years true yeah but but the um, whole but yeah i mean whenever whenever i bring up those things about the the gmos i'm not saying that it's like the the way to to into the future and all these kinds of things i my most of my fascination with it comes from the fact that so many people are doing it now that regardless of whatever kind of uh, uh, ethics that we can introduce into our communities, we're going to be surrounded with more of these organisms and without really a way to suppress them. I mean, there's not many people thinking a lot. I think because so many people in our, in our reality, in our world with that are making these differences and and working on making the changes uh, sustainably and ethically and with permaculture ethics in mind are afraid and don't want to think about these things that they're not accepting that there's going to be so many of them in the future we have to design uh, we have to design systems that 
either incorporate them or figure out ways to help uh, bring things back into a more natural and sustainable uh, uh, system. I agree with the um, latter. So I mean, that's that's kind of yeah. I I I was I was afraid of them. I completely did have no understanding of what GMOs were. I was afraid of them, so I didn't uh, research them at all. So that's where my fascination is coming with them right now. I want to have a better understanding, and I want people to be less afraid of them to have a better understanding of them because we're. I mean, they're already starting to come around us and surround us in in uh, different agriculture. I mean, I, I'm surrounded by GMOs everywhere I drive whenever season starts. Um, so I think it's important for people to become more aware of them and not be so afraid. So that's where I, that's where I stand. I'm not saying that it's like the solution or anything like that. Okay. Well, I would say that the biodiversity that we currently are losing needs to be preserved before we tinker and we also need we also have the ability to create like we have five to ten thousand varieties of corn in peru that stephen smith's trying to get access to so that we can readapt it to the north and bring and create thousands of new varieties for north america so that we can have pink neon like like green like all the colors of the rainbow corn in all of our diet <laughs> So there's so much, and Joseph Simcox and I talk about this in the podcast. He says that there's no need to create like drought tolerance or this or that or the other, because we already have plants that traditional native people have been working with that we just got to find and then promote. And some of them may need to be retrained. Like for instance, the Iroquois um, lambs quarter with giant leaves. We might have to mm-hmm. re- retrain it to get those leaves as big as they once were. Um, and then one last thing, we got to get those 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 fields to be uh, no-till organic somehow because you know the next step is the RNA spray where they spray it on the plants themselves and it changes the DNA live. So if we breathe that, yeah, totally. That's uh, yeah. We just gotta get get to a, a different yeah, so place. Have, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm yeah, I'm researching it too. These things. I mean, and I yeah, we yeah. have to. I yeah, mean, yeah, it's everywhere. Have. It's in yeah. all the food. It is. It is. I see it every. I see it all the time. I'm surrounded by all these farms and like, I mean, when like a couple a couple years back, I would see the farms and I'd be like, oh, farms, like nature, that's what's up. And then I learned about agriculture and I was like, oh no. Then I went out into the forests and realized that they've been deforested and I was just like, oh no. What do we do? <laughs> I know. Reverse these things, but becoming aware of them is is the first step, and I mean, and that's part of the reason why. I mean, like, I don't, I don't know if I mentioned it in this podcast, but I'm, I'm about to be 23 years old, and I think it's so important that I'm hitting the nail on the head right now, so people see that, it, like, it's consistent as I, as I grow up and get older, and try and and voice the, uh, that these things need to be changed. I don't, I think it'll have a little bit more. Uh, actions speak louder than words. If I've been doing this my whole life, and people, then people will probably listen to me a little bit better when yeah. I'm not like five, ten years down the line when I'm saying we can't keep monocropping and we can't keep doing all these kinds of things on the land. Yeah, I think we probably have six to nine years left before we can make significant changes before it's too late. So we need to do it in the next. We need to start. I mean, people. <laughs> we just need to reach people in the next uh, uh, year, year and a half, really, to get the message to become action in the next following year. So I'm glad that you have become world famous because your next book <laughs> is going to have this. All right. Can you actually do this for me? Here's a challenge. 
can you write down this this initial uh, uh, vision and maybe the story of it, of how you became into this posi position where you're this leader and you've got all these seeds in the community? Because this story is a story that needs to play out in every small community across the world. <laughs> oh, geez, I can do. I can totally do that. <laughs> Yeah, I can do that for sure. Yeah, it's, maybe yeah. make a documentary. Just, how do you look at yourself in the mirror, man? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're working on it. We're working on it. Because the only way we're going to yeah. do it is like the way you've described it is with a community of people coming together, that hive mind. Um, my m most recent book was the product of, you know, all this other people's work that I read and synthesized and then I involved the actual people who wrote and did the research and then I had them discuss mm -hmm. ideas through me as the filter and oh boy the inner the interface between Elaine Ingham's research and Peter McCoy's because they've not they've not they don't know each other's research at all it was so fascinating yeah. so um, I 100% I believe that's the only way we will get there and my new courses they're all group coached so we go through it as a group. Nice. Everyone hears everyone else's questions and feedback. So we're going to get there. I totally believe we're going to get there. We've got all the pieces in front of us. We just got to put it together. And I think your story is really going to help people do that. So I really look forward to reading that or watching it or whatever form you release it as. Right on. I'll, I'll be. It'll be posted on the on the Facebook and all the other social media for sure. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, man. Well, thank you so it's much, been, William. Uh, yeah, it's been great. I really appreciate this. Yeah, um, it's always uh, it's always fun to see you and all your work that you do and hear people talk about you whenever we go to the farming conferences and stuff like that. And, Oh wow! Yeah, it's it, yeah, it's good. I mean, it's it it's so empowering to to see it all come together and like know the faces of the movement and all that kind of stuff. Well, you know, so, there's yeah, not many of us. It. There's not many of us, and we all really rely on on each other. And I hope that you know, I mean, it may look like we're all in competition, but there's our audiences are all teeny compared to what we need to be. We need to be covering the globe, you know. Millions of, uh, yeah, of people totally. for each of our audiences we need. So it's a, we, we rely upon each other is the truth. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming Good. on. And uh, I look forward to checking up with you again and learning more. Heck yeah, man. Right on. Keep rocking. All right, William. Have a wonderful day. You too, man. appreciate talking to William. He truly is a scientist. I mean that in every respect of the word. Uh, he has become a scientist um, by training himself. And he's done incredible things to, and shared with people and he's continuing to do so. And we all can do this. We all can, can become a scientist in our own lives, a scientist in our own communities, and a leader in our communities. So we can do this. We just have to start. We just have to do the research. We have to put time reading, considering, discussing. And above all, 
working with others to get a better understanding of what's possible, what we can do, um, because it's only going to come to fruition. It's only going to happen when it's with other people. You're not going to be able to create anything that's truly going to affect lots of people in a vacuum. You're going to have to work with other people, get their input and insight. And I hope you can do it this week. Reach out to someone, start collaborating, start spreading regeneration.
Hold on. From An Abundant Future with Matt Powers. Have a great one.